Parenthood is a time of so much change for you and your baby. A little reliable information can go a long way towards making this new life a good life. I'm Jessica Rolfe, and this is My New Life, a Love Every Podcast. While the science aligns on what's healthy for a baby's brain development, when it comes to how to care for our babies, there's a seemingly endless supply of competing perspectives. Parents are swimming in advice on sleep, feeding, and parenting philosophies. In this season of the podcast, we aim to provide a variety of curated perspectives so you can make informed choices for your family. Feeding, diapering, dressing, soothing. At times, it feels like we're merely surviving those early months. And when in overdrive, pausing to observe doesn't always come naturally. But looking and listening before responding to your baby or toddler can lead to some surprising discoveries about your child and yourself. Something called Rye Parenting is founded on that principle. It was created in 1978 by a woman named Magda Gerber. The basis of Magda's Rye philosophy is respect for the child and trust in that child to be an initiator and a self-learner. It asks us to examine our power in caring for these little beings. Today's guest has trained in the foundations of Rye and is half of the parenting duo behind Upbringing. Hannah Olivaria and her twin sister, Kelty, have been incorporating Rye into their parenting and coaching for years. Hello, Hannah. Hello, Jessica. It's so great to be here. Oh, it's great to have this perspective. So before we dive in, can you share with us what Rye represents? Yeah, Rye, um, as you probably know, is resources for infant educators, but I think it's also just kind of this this large philosophy and approach that is now worldwide. It's been adopted by by many parents, many um, coaching and and parenting professionals, mental health professionals even, Uh, and it's a way of looking at and responding to babies, toddlers, and even older kids um, and looking at them with respect and trust, and that's kind of beginning the the parent child or the caregiver child relationship with those two things intact. And it, it, it's used and, and um, approached and, and thought of and experienced in so many different ways. And I'm excited to kind of expand on those um, in detail and kind of a little more broadly with you today. So what's your experience with Rye as a mother? Oh my goodness. So my my sister and I had our daughters six months apart and we had just had a trauma in the family and had also just been ladies who winged it, you know? And I think that when I had my daughter, I realized that I couldn't wing this parenting thing anymore. And when I had been pregnant, I'd asked a bunch of friends who'd had kids of their own, what, what, how do you parent? Where where are you learning this stuff? We clearly have no idea what we're doing, what we're going to be doing. Um, you know, give me your secrets. And Rye turned up as one of the the references that one of my good friends gave me, and um, and so I kind of learned about it then. And so when our when our babies were young, we 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 got into um, learning about Rye and practicing Rye. And really, it was kind of our gateway into respectful, conscious, mindful parenting. You know, they're all those buzzwords, but I think that you know, I I can acknowledge and I realize it's a privilege that I was able to find um, this type of parenting approach from an early age for my daughter. But I also really think back a lot of the time to 
what I would have been like and what my, my sister also, my twin sister would have experienced if we hadn't found Rye. And I think that's where a lot of parents are coming to the table right now being like, I didn't find Rye in those first few months. And I think that I probably would have been a lot more anxious. I probably would have been more controlling. Um, my baby's big feelings would have been a lot trickier for me to, to trust in and handle. You know, I would have felt compelled to accelerate my baby or entertain my baby. And I think that as a highly sensitive person and a Virgo, you know, overachiever type person, I think that my experience as a parent and my relationship with my daughter and then my son and my sister's relationships with her kids would have been really, really different. So when I think about Ryan in those early years with my daughter, I feel really grateful that I had stumbled upon it. And I think that's why Kelty and I integrate Rye so much into our work at Upbringing because it, it changed our lives in such a fundamental way. So then you gave a hint of this, but if you were to say a few main things that encompass the Rye method for parents of babies, for example, what are they? What does this really look like? Yeah. I mean, there's no, you know, fixed rules or fixed um, kind of approach, but I think the idea is that babies deserve our respect and our trust from the start. And I think that, you know, babies are so small, they're so helpless. I think our, our role as parents, we're like, wow, I have to do everything. I have to make everything. I have to be everything. And I think that the Rye perspective helped us see our babies and then our kids as as really whole and much more capable little beings than we and our society usually give them credit for. <laughs> so I think that that really changed the belief about our babies, changed our, our belief about our role as a parent. So rather than thinking that we're you know, supposed to mold and shape and build and construct these little babies kind of from the ground up, Rye helped us realize that we just need to be respectful, trusting role models, right? Who kind of serve as what Kelty and I call sensitive support staff, you know? So some of the Rye, you know, tenants are, you know, communicating authentically to our babies from the start, giving them agency and letting them participate in their own lives and in their own caregiving and their own play and their own eating, right? Um, trusting in their motor development and their cognitive development and their play and their interests, Um welcoming all their feelings, um, and also setting limits and personal boundaries, uh, which is really critical to meet our needs and their needs as well. Uh, and doing that with as much love um, as we can, rather than using control, we call it the control toolbox at upbringing, um, you know, punishments, consequences, anger, frustration. It's hard to imagine doing that with our little babies, but those things end up coming out in our toddler years pretty strongly. So getting this, this, um, new belief about babies and new belief about our role as parents. Rye kind of kind of started that for us at least. And that's kind of the the founding tenets of Rye in that way. Um, yeah. And so I remember having experienced my one of my early experiences with Rye was observing my cousin with her new baby. And she asked her baby permission. She said, I am going to pick you up now and I'm going to take you to the diaper changing station and we're going to change your diaper. And is that okay? And I am not doing it quite right, but I do remember being so amazed at how she was speaking to her baby for a couple of things. One is I loved the fact that she was giving all this verbal input to her baby and like really, con really seeking to connect with the baby. I also remember having this experience where her tone felt so leveled and so not what I what I research and understand is the benefits of parentese, that little lilting voice, that uplifting sort of sing-song um, 
approach. It felt very adult, like in a very adult tone and kind of flat and respectful, but but kind of flat. And I have been struggling to understand it ever since. Was this just an example of one with my cousin or are there, is this the right way to speak to a baby? And how do you make Mm. of this in terms of, you know, what the child development science says about using a little bit more of an animated, um, high-pitched tone benefiting baby's development? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a great question. I, I, I see that pop up in the Rye forums as well. And in our right from the start baby course, folks are like, how do I talk to my baby? I know it's important. I'm supposed to use lots of words so they can learn. I want to connect with them. And I think that Rye talks about speaking authentically to our babies. And I think authentically is a really subjective term. I think authentically can mean that we, if we just, we just have to talk to them as, as though we're talking to anyone else because that's all we can handle or because we want to really be focusing on the words so that they learn the words, right? The way we're speaking them as adults and and people speak. We can also be talking to them in more connective ways, like you said that the science shows, in more of quote-unquote parentees, where we're using our voice in a playful, connective way. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful too, if that feels authentic and a way that we can connect to our baby. I think what Rye maybe and I can't really speak for Rye because I'm not a, an associate, but what I would imagine they would would say is that baby talk, where we go, we, we're not using real words and we're just going ba ba da da, and we're repeating what our babies are saying instead of modeling the words that we hope that they learn to use. I think that's the the idea behind this is saying let's not um, diminish their capacity to learn a language or to be spoken to in a respectful way. So I think it just it questions us to say, am I speaking respectfully and authentically? authentically to this human, right? I'm not speaking to someone like I would at the office necessarily, or I'm not speaking to some, you know, my mother-in-law here. I am speaking to a baby who's learning how to speak my language, but how can I connect authentically, whatever feels right to them and to me? I love that. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I do, I will say that, you know, the repeating what babies' vocalizations can be a really important part of them understanding that their language does have agency. And so when they say baba, mm. if you repeat that baba, it can encourage them to speak more and build those brain connections around language. So, yeah, yeah. yeah and I but think let it not be all mirroring, I guess, is the idea that, that changing up your language, trying to connect to them in a real way, whether they say something first or you say something first. Okay. So one of the things that we've wondered about is some Rye practitioners, specific practitioners who are really, you know, following the method, um, object to tummy time. What do you think about that? Lots of brain growth happens in the first three years of life. But how much of who we become is predetermined by our genetics? And how much is based on our early experiences? According to neuroscientists, it boils down to about 50-50. 50% genetics and 50% environment. But what exactly is this environment? What makes for an environment that is enriching for little brains? At Lavevry, we have brought together experts from all fields of early childhood development to answer this question. Neuroscientists, Montessori experts, occupational therapists, and speech therapists. For every stage from birth to age four, we have just the right activities, tools, and information so you can feel confident you are giving your child the very best start. Hmm. 
I, I feel like um, prescribing a, a particular thing, one fit size fits all approach to every baby can be problematic. And I wonder if part of their, their belief, I think the Rye belief is saying babies uh, are capable and can move their bodies uh, in their own way at their own timeline. And so placing your baby in a position that they didn't get into themselves or can't get out of themselves isn't really working with their development. It's trying to accelerate their development. And so that's, I think, the perspective that Rye takes is saying, let's step back, let's trust your baby's development when they're ready to roll over onto that tummy or be in that cute little half precarious where you're like, are they going to do it? Are they not? Right. That's up to them. That's their work is, is, is their motor development. But there's so many other things to take into account. My son had um, some some skull issues where we needed to have him on his tummy a little bit more, and we wanted to make sure he didn't get a flat side of the head. There were some concerns there, and he also struggled a little bit to roll over. And so I'd been of the wry mindset of being like, do not move him, do not touch him, let him do his own thing. And it was hard for me. I had to reconcile bringing in the values of Rye of saying, he's going to move, I'm trusting in his development. And then also saying, well, what feels right for me and my family and my child? And I think a lot of the, you tell me with the the tummy time research, but I think a lot of that is saying our babies spend so much time on their backs. They need to spend a little time on their tummies. And, and I think that some babies though, do not love the tummy time. You put them down and it's like torture. It's like you're putting them through the gauntlet or some sort of exercise regimen or something. So I think so much about it, and we can go back to Rye supporting this, is saying, look to your child, look to your baby. You know, give them the tummy time opportunity. See how they're liking it. See how they're feeling. There's nothing wrong with setting them up and seeing what happens. And then also realizing and remembering too that tummy time can happen a lot of different ways. At upbringing, we're like, I don't know if we want any dogma of you must do this or you can't do this. And so um, I think Rye sometimes gets pinned a little bit into, but you say this or you say that you can't do that. And it's a little bit tricky for sure. Yeah, I really appreciate this perspective because it it really feels like you can also respect yourself and respect your baby in in, in encompassing with their full development. So that's great. So I've loved this concept of a yes space. I love it. And I feel like I, you know, sort of intuitively did this, even though I hadn't discovered the Rye method when I was raising my three children. Again, going back to my my cousin, you know, sometimes I notice though that the, the yes space can seem like it's morphing into almost a containment space. Like I see baby mm-hmm. gates and it seems like it's a bigger space than we might put them in a playpen, but it feels like a very gated kind of consistent environment for the child, which from a neuroscience perspective, isn't giving them that, that the craving that they have for novelty and new experiences and um, being able to explore. So I know that the goal of the yes space is to allow them to explore, but sometimes I feel like it can easily morph into a containment space. Can you talk to this a little bit? What does a mm-hmm. ideal yes space really look like? And what have you seen? Have you ever seen it kind of morph into containment? Oh, yeah. That's such a great question. It's the baby jail question. We like to ask a lot of folks come to us and they're like, this sounds like baby jail. This is very problematic to me. And I think uh, I love how Rye talks about it as a yes space because yes means go, grow, develop, move, experiment, right? Our babies are these, these little adventurers, these little scientists. You do you in a certain place. And I think that the yes space or even the gating idea came around to say, wow, it's really easy for us to put our babies down. But when they start getting mobile, 
right? Then they start getting into things and we're basically constantly in, um, in, you know, disaster prevention, right? Or safety prevention mode. And we're always saying, no, 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 don't touch that, put that down. And that can really impede a, ch- a baby's learning. So I think the idea of a yes space is saying whatever area our babies can play in, let it be what quote unquote baby proofed. Let it let us allow us to say yes instead of say no, and that can be a smaller space if our you know our place is smaller, or if a particular time during the day when our older kids are home and could be you know harming the baby, or that could be a larger place that we've proofed to be safe and available to them for their their movement and their play and their their personal growth. So I think that. The yes space can only be problematic if um, we're 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 creating an area that's not in and of itself nurturing to our child, and they're needing more. So that's on us to nurture that environment and create, you know, move things around, change it around, right? Adapt as our baby's needs are adapting. And then also, I think a lot of the the concern with the baby jail, you know, thing is also that our babies are going to be alone, that we're that we're leaving and we're abandoning our babies. And that might be a fear that a lot of parents have before we've even put our babies down alone, or our babies could be showing us, don't leave me, I want to be near to you. And I think that's really good information to us, that we shouldn't be abandoning our, our babies in yes spaces or gated areas or rooms all by themselves if they're needing us. So I think that that's not what a yes space is saying. I think that a yes space is creating safety and approachability. Um, for baby and you so that optimal learning can happen. But it, it really puts the onus on the parent to say, what's that going to look like? And how can I support my baby getting comfortable in that yes space before I maybe step away to care for another kid or take care of my own needs, that type of thing. You've got fantastic resource that can be downloaded from your website, upbringing.co for free. Let's break this model down. So it's structured around 10 freedoms. And we're going to cover some of them, but let's start with struggle. It's such a challenging one for so many of us parents is to watch our child and let our child struggle with something. I, we always start with freedom to struggle. I love that you you chose that one, Jessica, because I think it's the hardest thing. And it's the thing that we experience with babies, that freedom to, to express themselves and say, this is hard. Oh, I can't get rolled over on this little blanket or I'm working so hard on this little toy and I can't pull it apart and I'm just, oh, baby meltdown, right? Or older kids with their shoes or older kids with with even just a friend. You know, struggle is an inherent part of life. And I think our, our natural impulse as parents is to say, we got to fix that. We got to minimize struggle. We want our kids to be happy, right? But that's not how they become resilient. And so supporting our kids and, and, and identifying this as a freedom of theirs that we can kind of ally with them about rather than overtake or abandon them with is to say, how can we go side by side with this freedom and, and help them feel comfortable in it? So one of the freedoms that you talk about is freedom to choose. And, you know, one of the signatures that I recall about the Rye Method is this you know, checking for consent. So what does this look like for a baby and what does this look like for life with a toddler? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, naturally through conventional parenting, we think of, you know, gosh, we have so much responsibility for our babies and our toddlers. They depend on us so much, right, for their caregiving. We have to change their diapers, right? We have to 
to um, clean them. You know, we have to do their hygiene, right? Um, we have to um, dress them. We have to bathe them. It's a lot of things that are on our plate uh, and what feels like 100% at the beginning. And I think the, the Raya philosophy helps put that, that in the back of our mind that we can be doing with our babies rather than doing to them from the get-go. So we can be bringing them into their caregiving activities. Even when they can't quite lift their bottom for that diaper, we can talk about it. Even when they don't know how to brush their teeth yet, we can slowly show them and tell them. And little by little, the more we're bringing them in rather than doing to them and just getting on with the day, talking to someone on the phone, you know, we can't always be like preciously caregiving our babies, but the more we can do that, the sooner they can adopt those caregiving activities themselves and feel like a trust in uh, not just a knowledge of how to care for themselves, but a trust in us as their caregivers. And I love that you bring up the, the topic of consent because we talk about that a lot at upbringing. It, it really, parenting a baby and a toddler, it calls us to examine our power and privilege in the parent-child relationship. So we have a lot of responsibility, but we have to remember that we're taking care of their bodies and the way we engage with our babies and our kids' bodies teaches them about how to use power over another person and how to experience power in a relationship. So we're normalizing whatever we're doing, the way we're doing our caregiving practices. So the idea, I think, and we've kind of brought in this uh, kind of more progressive, you know, social political value into our upbringing stuff. I'm not sure how how political Rye gets about it. They, I think they see it as just that's what babies deserve. That's part of the respect part of, of caregiving for babies. But Kelsey and I do love talking at it from a consent point of view because so many of us believe in consent for for adults, for other people, for women especially, right? And we want to be aligning those those personal values we have with these parenting practices that we are doing on the daily with our kids. So that's why with, with Rye and with any mode of parenting that incorporates these types of values and practices, we want to think about how we're treating our, our kids' bodies. We want them to, to, to feel as though their bodies are respected. So what that looks like in a big way is just slowing down in moments of caregiving that have to do with our kid's body and connecting with them before proceeding. And so we can't always get consent. Our baby's not going to be like, thumbs up, mom, go for this diaper change. Or our toddler won't be like, oh, mom, you know, I'm not really feeling like a shower tonight, but if you do this or that, right? We're not, we're starting these consent conversations in a very one-sided way in these early years with our kids, but they matter. So I think that looks like us getting down on the floor, you know, and saying, hey, I've noticed your diaper. They think it's time to change it instead of just swooping up behind our baby, sniffing their butts and putting them on the diaper changing station. So any other advice that we haven't covered here? Any insights, wisdom that you want to share with our listeners that we haven't covered? I love this concept of Rive and that you're bringing in all of these different types of parenting and approaches to the to the community because it helps us remember as parents that we don't have to do it just one way, that no one single approach fits us or fits our kids or fits our family today or tomorrow or the next day. And that so much of our work as parents is saying, how can we show up and grow up and build skills and build awareness and do it in a really courageous way? Because it's it's working against a lot of conditioning that says we're not supposed we're already supposed to know these things. We should be doing it perfectly every time. It's got to be Instagram worthy, right? So remembering that this is a process, you know, progress over perfection, and that 
our parenting approach isn't going to look like somebody else's and it's not supposed to, and that it's going to evolve over time and we can give ourselves grace. We can continue to lean on those folks, those external, um, you know, resources and experts, but that we can also, you know, as we're trusting and really looking and respecting our babies in this new way, we can be learning to trust ourselves too. We can be keying into our own inner wisdom about what works for us, what we're noticing with our babies and kind of be balancing and, and creating and weaving together kind of a, a family approach that's unique to us. Mm, that is so helpful to hear. Hannah, it's been wonderful having you with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jessica. To learn more about Hannah and Kelty's approach to discipline and to download a copy of the Freedoms Model, check them out at Instagram at upbringing.co. To learn more about the Rye Method, go to loveevery.com. You've been listening to My New Life. If you think this episode might be helpful to a fellow parent, please share. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in today's show, head over to loveevery.com. That's L-O-V-E-V-E-R-Y.com. I'm Jessica Rolfe. Thanks for listening. Thank you.